0: I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online. Here at Life Church Utah. God bless. All right. Have you ever had to get a car ready to sell? And uh, in the process of it, uh, maybe that car, you know, kind of low miles, it has run beautifully uh, its whole life that you've had that vehicle. And then you put it up. Uh, is it KSL? Is that the kind of local thing that everybody seems to do? So KSL and uh, you put it up there. Um, and then somebody says, Hey, I'd love to come see your car. And then you go, go out to your car that has never had trouble ever starting before in its life. And then what inevitably happens? It won't start up. No, 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 really. It runs great. Yeah, whatever. Talking to Pastor Eric, and he's trying to sell a red Jeep. I don't know if you've seen it out there, and uh, you're welcome to go see him and buy that right after service. Uh, but he is selling a red Jeep, and it was so funny. I was talking to him, he goes, This thing, it's great. It hadn't had any problems, but for some reason, a weird squeak just started as soon as he wanted to sell this thing. So that, uh, that happens. Uh, maybe you try to get your home ready to sell. I know that feeling. Um, we've lived in our home for 12 years. Three days after we put it on the market, it's then that all of the building companies decide to build on, on you know, behind our home, next to our home, and all the racket that comes along with construction. Really? <laughs> We've done everything we can. By the way, though, there is a contract on it now, so uh, we are very excited about that. Uh, eventually get Shelly and the kids out here, and that will be wonderful. So uh, no longer living the bachelor's life, and that's, uh, that's great. Or what if you work so hard, for those of you, especially daughters, uh, work so hard to get your daughter's hair just right? Especially if you're a dad, because that's problematic. Except for that one guy on YouTube. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but look that up, and he's fantastic. Uh, But that is not me, by the way. Um, But you work so hard to get your daughter's hair just right, and then you turn your head for a moment, and you turn back, and they've got, like, gum or something else in the hair. And you're like, I've done everything I possibly can to make it beautiful. And here you go and ruin it. It's a crisis, isn't it? It's a crisis. Second Chronicles 19, um, or actually Second Chronicles 20. Uh, we're going to talk about crisis today, and I think we all understand, um, we're talking about a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. That's a great name. Name your son that, that'll uh, make him very happy for the rest of his life. Um, We're going to talk about Jehoshaphat and what he learned in moments of crisis. And so in in chapter 19, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but in chapter 19 uh, and even before that, Jehoshaphat is in the process of getting his nation... kind of ready to go. They had fallen off kind of the faith thing a little bit. And he was like, hey, we got to bring us back to faith and make everything right. And so uh, he began repairing the temple and making a great place for worship to happen. Um, Got the kind of judicial system back up and running properly, had leadership in place. And it's like, okay, we've got this nation ready to go. uh, Kind of like, you know, got my daughter's hair ready to go and, you know, ready to face what tomorrow holds. And Jehoshaphat is uh, stepping toward maturity and faith and bringing the nation along with him. So it's all good, right? <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, says this, after this, so after all the really good things Jehoshaphat had done to get everything ready to go in the nation, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites, declared war on Jehoshaphat. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar, which is another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Have you ever been terrified by news? Terrified. Terrified by a doctor's report that says cancer, is a part now of your, for your future? Terrified that a son or a daughter makes, makes a choice and you find out about it and you're just devastated and terrified? After this, you do everything you possibly can and then it all seems to fall apart. How, how frustrating and how terrifying, and I think Jehoshaphat knows at times what we were, are facing. Maybe you complete an education process at work. They offer a, you know, kind of a, a stipend for you, and you go finish the education thing. You're all excited about it, and then the work cuts your job. Maybe in your marriage, you're like, okay, this is it, and I'm, I'm working extra hard. I realize some of the things I've done in my marriage to create difficulty. Begin working on the marriage only to find more stress and more trouble and more difficulty ahead. Maybe you work on your spiritual life, and some of you might be in this, in this place right now where over the past five weeks you're like, yes, I'm taking more seriously my, my prayer life more seriously, this faith, taking it more seriously in my life. And what generally happens that I have found in my own life is the struggles and the battles and the difficulties only seem to increase when I feel like I'm taking steps towards the things God wants me to do. This is Je- Jehoshaphat. So how do you pray and move forward in moments like that when you feel discouraged, you feel frustrated, and like, uh, like Jehoshaphat, you feel terrorized by the choices that are ahead of you? How do we pray in crisis? So looking at Jehoshaphat's life, I think there are six lessons uh, that we can learn from, uh, from him and uh, apply them to our lives as well. So here we go. Number one, this might seem uh, obvious, but... Uh, Number one, turn to God for help. This is where we start, right at the very beginning. He says this in verse three, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. You can do that if you're the king, by the way. (laughs) He ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. And I heard this quote the other day, it said this, never let a problem intimidate you. Instead, let it motivate you to pray. Seek God for wisdom before you do anything else. So when we face struggles and when something comes up unexpectedly, what is our reflex? What is the th- where do we turn? What's, what is that moment for us? So it may seem obvious, especially for those who've been in church for a long time, that we are to turn to God first for help. But we shouldn't be fooled. Uh, because it's so easy to turn to other places to figure out How to Face a Crisis. Now, in our world today, uh, in most of our pockets, or maybe beside us right now, we have the collective knowledge of billions of people and thousands of years of history, so we can do something like this. Hey, Siri. I'm here. (laughs) She said she's here. That's great. Uh, How do I handle a crisis? You didn't answer me. Here we go. How do I handle a crisis? Here's what I found on the web for how do I handle a crisis? This is great. I don't have to turn to God. <laughs> Siri told me how to handle a crisis. Now, I, I mean, do that half-jokingly, but how many times have we, in our struggles, turned everywhere but God first? I, I've done that. It's so easy to do in our world. And I, in fact, I have, uh, four ways to handle a crisis at work. Uh, these are the best ways to handle a crisis at work. I guess work has crisis a lot. Um, are you prepared to handle a crisis? Five steps to make a crisis better? I mean, so, all these, so I've got all the answers I possibly need. And yet I think I'd have to probably scroll down quite far to find God in any of the solutions. Because our world doesn't consider that a valid place to turn first. But like Jehoshaphat, we as the people of God, this should be our reflex. Problem happens, boom, we should turn to God first. Rather than, hey, I've got wonderful friends in my own life, but I shouldn't turn to them first. I love my wife dearly. I shouldn't turn to her first. I love my kids. Definitely, I'm not going to turn to them first. (laughs) I mean, I raised them. I know what happened to them. (laughs) All right. So where do we turn first? We turn first to God. Um, it says that he was terrified and that he begged God. Now, some of us don't like that phrase there, begged God, because it's like uh, God is an unwilling partner in this relationship. And yet I think what it does is it speaks to a passion on Jehoshaphat's side where he, he's Begging God. God, listen to the need that's here. God, I'm turning to you, and I'm begging for our lives in this moment. Now, unless you think begging is bad, I remember as a kid uh, growing up, um, maybe you remember this as well. Christmas is just around the corner. And what happens to all of our children? They turn into beggars. <laughs> right? And I was just just with them, a nerd alert. This is what I begged for. I don't remember how old I was, probably 12 or 13 years of age, and this is what I begged for a color monitor for the Heathkit computer that my dad and I built. I want I had monochrome before that. I'm like if I just get a color monitor, my life will be complete. <laughs> that was real. I'm begging for that. Remember my brother I was I remember him begging for a Burton snowboard back in the early 80s, you know, that was kind of like, that was the thing, and it was brand new snowboarding, and all the skiers didn't like them then or now, um, so you've got all this, you know, the struggle there, so he wanted this Burton snowboard, one time, my, uh, he and I were wrestling on my bed, and he was winning, as was usual, and, um, and he kind of threw me off the bed, and I remember hitting the floor, and I happened to see underneath my bed, what was hiding there, the Burton snowboard, <laughs> Now, I didn't tell my brother, how's that? That was pretty good. I was pretty awesome. And, uh, but I asked my mom later, I'm like, mom, why did you hide that under my bed? She goes, you can't find anything in your room. I knew that was a great place to put it. <laughs> but he was begging for them. so we as children, we understand what that means to beg, right? And just say, God, I, I need this. And that's, I think, kind of the heart behind this. And, and here's Jehoshaphat saying, God, I'm begging for you to respond, So as we are in that first first part there, turning to God for help, a couple things we need to remember. Number one, we need to remember how big God is. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, notice this, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. I love that Jehoshaphat takes his private prayer life and then extends it into the public square. That's true leadership, isn't it? And I think sometimes we think it's only kings or presidents or pastors that, that can do that, but I think all of us are leaders at some level. We lead our families we lead our children. If you've got grandchildren, you, you lead and influence your grandchildren. And so I think for us, what Jehoshaphat does here is beautifully He takes what is inside of him, that relationship with God that's inside, and then he makes it public. And he says, this is what we are to do next because we are a people that rely upon God. And remember how big God is. He says, you alone are the God who is in heaven. He alone is, there is no other God in heaven. He alone is the ruler with the authority. He alone is large enough to meet you in the crisis. No one can stand against you, God, because you are big. (laughs) There's something comforting about having someone bigger with you, uh, bigger than you, in situations that are scary. You're in a situation like you know that's scary and you're like, if I just had somebody bigger than me, not for my kids, that would be me, <laughs> you know, as I'm bigger than most people. And uh, so what about me? Who do I turn to and have with me when I get scared, <laughs> right? But it's comforting having somebody bigger than us and so we turn to God. We remember how big God is. Next thing we do is we remember what God has done. Um, verse seven, oh, our God, Did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? It's vital to keep the perspective in how God has worked in the past to remember what God has done. And so we can say along with Jehoshaphat, did you not? God, did you not meet that financial need that I desperately had in my life? God, did you not give that that moment for my wife and I to reconcile and now our marriage is stronger than ever? God, did you not give me that, that moment with my child to speak into their heart and they made a wise choice? But we forget those things far too often. It's easy to forget them. So I want to encourage you, and I've already shared this before, get a, get a journal together, get something, some sort of praise thing together so that you can remember what God has done in your life. I've had a journal, I've shared this before, but I had a journal that started April 3rd, 1988, which was an Easter, started right here when this was called Valley Assembly of God back so many years ago. And uh, so this is 1988, so over 30 years ago, God did something in my life sitting somewhere, I don't remember where I was, somewhere in this building, uh, in the sanctuary, God did something in my life and I wrote it down. And I'm able to go back and say, God, did you not move in my life as a 17-year-old kid right here in this place? I'm able to remind God or remember what God has done. Next thing we need to do is uh, remember what God has promised. Remember uh, what God has done. Remember what God has promised. This is looking to the future. He says in verse seven, and did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Now what he's referring to here, what Joshua is referring to here is something that goes back to the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12 and, uh, and after that, where God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, this is going to be the promised land. This, this land right here I'm giving to you. Now this would be a promise that was a couple of thousand, nearly a couple of thousand years old at this point. And Jehoshaphat is saying, Lord, remember these promises. Remember this promise that was given so long ago. And Lord, we're going to follow after those promises. And so what has God promised to you? What's God promised to us as the people of God? This is where we need to turn to the word because that's where I can see the black and white promises of God. Remind God of what he's already said, that there's a peace that transcends all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when we present our requests to him. That's a promise given to us as the people of God. Another one, that there's a promise in the book of Jeremiah that we would be a people that have a hope and a future. But there's a promise of forgiveness we find in first uh, in J- in, uh, John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. A promise of God's attention through the Holy Spirit that uh, just like the disciples, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, that, uh, that we are those same people receiving again the Spirit of God. Now we remember all of God's promises because these are based on an appeal to God's character. That God is a God, well it says here in verse 10, And now we see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Let me uh, kind of clear this up here real quick. Um, the nation of Israel going from Egypt out of captivity and then making their, way, um, making their way up to this promised land that they knew was waiting for them. And during the journey, God says, no, I don't want you to, to go to these nations. I don't, there's no reason to go into these nations. That was Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Those, were, those nations were passed by by the people of God in that moment. And so here, uh, Jehoshaphat is reminding God of what happened. And then God's character says, now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Verse 12, oh, our God, won't you stop them? Oh, our God, won't you stop them? It's like Jehoshaphat is saying, I know who you are. I know what you have done. I know, um, I know what you have said. I know what you can do, and I'm asking you, God, to do it again. God, your character is such that you follow through. You accomplish, you overwhelm with grace. Uh, you protect, you console. This, God, is who you are. I appeal, God, to your character. You are who you say you are, and the pr- your promises are to be fulfilled by you. So this incredible kind of introduction here that Jehoshaphat is giving. Um, remember, we need to, uh, to first um, uh, turn to God for help. And after turning God, uh, to God for help and we remember these things and we appeal to his character, then it's interesting that Jehoshaphat turns it uh, in a direction that I wasn't expecting when you first kind of read through this. And uh, this is the point where we admit our inadequacy or admit my inadequacy. I would think that right after all these incredible things that, that Jehoshaphat is doing, reminding, saying, all right, let's go take them. Let's go take the enemy. Let's do this. We built ourselves up, but he admits his inadequacy. Verse 12, we are power. Remember, he says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? And then he goes on, we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We are powerless. You ever feel powerless in the face of crisis? I think many times we do. There's nothing we can do. We can't take steps. We don't know what to do. But I've definitely found this miracles never happen until you admit that the situation is impossible without God's help. Because until that point where you realize you are powerless, we are trying to figure it out ourselves and make things work ourselves. And God is just waiting on us us to admit that we are completely and wholly inadequate to make, to make a change in this crisis that we're facing. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, This is what Jesus said about the same idea. He's talking to his disciples about salvation and, and some of the difficulties there. So Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, this is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. I love that about God. He's able to take our impossible situations and turn them to become possible. So then after we kind of admit this inadequacy on our parts, the next thing that we do is rely on God's resources. Rely on God's resources. Uh, Verse 12 again, we do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. We are looking to you for help. Something that we need to do is to shift our focus from our problem to the problem solver. Right? Shift that focus uh, directly away from looking at that problem that this is overwhelming us. Turn a little bit. Turn to the problem solver and say, God, you are limitless with your resources. <laughs> and so, Lord, I turn to you. I rely upon the fact that you've got resources that I don't have. There's a great old phrase that's in the Bible. Uh, We don't use it super often anymore, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, All right? Now, if you grew up in the city, you have no idea what that means. (laughs) How many of you have not seen a cattle or a cow, livestock, in the last month? Raise your hand real quick. Like out just grazing on the hills, right? Okay, most of us. Uh, we, you know, we haven't seen that. Why? Because we're in an urban society, right? And kind of suburban area, and just don't typically see lots of cattle just wandering around. Well, the nation of Israel at the time was an agrarian society and heavily reliant upon this part of their economy. And so if you were a farmer and you owned the cattle of one hill, you were pretty successful. I and mean, you, you had an opportunity to to kind of you know move around in society a little bit and had some some means. If you own two you know cattle on, on two hills, wow, you were somebody special. And so when the author is writing this, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is like un, unheard of wealth and resource, unheard of ability, unheard of um, uh, uh, way for God to show that He's got it all under control. So when you are at your wits end, when it comes to resources, recognize that that's just where God begins. That's just where God begins. I was talking to somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, right up here at the front, in a breakthrough moment in their life was needed, had a had a major financial issue that had come up with uh, with him and uh i think lost a job or something like that and in the process lost a car that was um that was taken from him and so he had on his record this car that was there and there was no way it was going to be sold in order to you know make up the full amount of uh, of the debt that was owed on it and he was devastated and his breakthrough prayer was god i need to see you come through god there's no way i can make this and he told me on that sunday morning he said hey, I just want you to know uh, God wiped out a $20,000 debt off of of my record and it's just a beautiful thing and he was in tears sharing what that meant for God to come through and he relied on his resources. Just a beautiful testimony of God's resources in someone's life And, and I believe that for every one of you when those moments come out and you're in a desperate situation, rely on God's resources. We don't know what to do but Lord, we look to you. Now the next one, uh, verse 4, or verse 4, number 4, is relax in faith. And let me explain this because I don't want you to uh, to freak out about this one. And and this seems very uh, lackadaisical when it comes to it, but that's not at all the heart of it. Listen to this in uh, verse 15 and 17. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. That's a wonderful word from the Lord. I love that. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. To that we go, amen, yes, I will just sit back and do nothing. Verse 17, but you will not even need to fight. Again, yes, this is awesome, God. I can just sit back and do, I can just rest and do nothing. But then he says this, take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victories. Folks, faith, as has already been shared earlier by Pastor Marco, faith takes action, (laughs) This is how we show we are a people of faith is that we move. And God invites us to be an answer to, the own need, to our own need that we have in our life. And there are times as Christians that we get locked up in this paralysis, I think, when it comes to what we should do next. And so we go, well, you know what? I'm not going to do anything until I hear a direct voice of God speaking into my life. And I don't think that's the way that we do this. I think what we do is we say, God, I am stepping out in faith and moving forward with my belief in you. God, I'm stepping out in faith and believing, oh God, that you are going to be with me in my battles and in my struggles. When you put your life in God's hands, your battle becomes his battle. Your enemies become his enemy. And God says to you, just like he said to Jehoshaphat, relax, I got this, (laughs) And uh, there are times it's difficult to do that. Can I, can I share something with you? Really, this is just a disappointment in my own life. Is that okay? Can I share that, the pastor sharing a disappointment? Um, so our our home is under contract, and so very excited about that. However, we did not get the price that I felt we wanted to get, and so I got mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God before? So I was I was not happy. I'll be totally honest with you. I was not real happy uh, with the Lord. But here's what I know. God is a God of resources. And he's asking us to step forward in faith. And so uh, I had a few words with the Lord. (laughs) Didn't end too well. I mean, I ended in repenting and things like that, of course. Um, But I realize in the struggle that's very, very real in all of our lives when we face what we feel. Sometimes we face what we feel is a crisis, might not be, but we feel it in the moment. We rely on his resources, and I think, and I'm gonna invite our worship team to come on up here as we close out, um, that one of the things that, that in knowing this message was here, preparing it all week, and then the the home gets under contract, and so I'm struggling with this, and God's like, pay attention to your own message there, buddy. (laughs) And uh, we get to number five, and it says this. Thank God in advance. Sing victory songs before you see the victory. Verse 21 says this, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. What if you were one of the singers? (laughs) If you're a singer and our singer's coming out right now, uh, they don't have weapons with them. They don't have swords, they don't have uh, spears, no bows and arrows, you know, they don't have any of that stuff. The singers are singers because they can sing. And God says, put them first. All the soldiers are like, yeah, buddy, go out there and sing, all right, this is great. <laughs> it says, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor, getting their eyes off of what's happening around them and turning their eyes up. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love, that's a covenant love. As a child of God, this is how we should begin. And every day or every time we come up against struggles and and, uh, these crisis moments in our life, we should lead with that praise, lead with that statement, Lord, I give thanks to you. Because Lord, I know as a child of God of your undying love for me, that never-ending love for me. And this becomes a heart's cry for us that shows up in the way that we live our lives. It might even show up in song for those who can sing. For those who can't sing the joyful noise of the Lord, he loves that too, (laughs) right? And so it becomes within us something that has to come out Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've read this before in the series because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what happens when we do this? Just like Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. What happens when we praise in the face of crisis? In the moment of potential despair, what takes place when we lift our eyes off of our problem and lift our voice instead praise to the Lord thanking God in advance for the victory that we don't yet see what happens at the moment verse 22 they begin to sing and to praise the Lord caused the armies of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir to begin fighting among themselves and they destroyed each other I love that At the moment, they began to sing. At the moment, not not building to some sort of crescendo, not like the perfect worship service where it all builds to one final moment, but it says, at the moment they began to sing, God moved. We have to remember this, folks, that at the moment we begin to thank God, something happens in the heavenlies. Something changes, something, something, uh, something of, of God's presence begins to move and to stir within us, within circumstances around us, and they change. The Israelites didn't run in fear, they stood firm in their faith, they didn't have to lift a finger, they just lifted their voices in worship and their enemies self-destructed. There is power in praise. And this very last thing, expect God to turn battles into blessings. Expect God to turn battles into blessings. It says this not a single one, verse 24, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. Verse 26, on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised. And thank the Lord there, and it's still called the Valley of Blessing today. There's a blessing in the midst of battles. <laughs> because we have an expectation of a God to respond to our struggles. When you let God fight your battles, it's a witness to everyone around you. Listen to the kind of the epilogue to this whole story in verse 29. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. When God answers prayer, others should know about it. Because I think this becomes part of our narrative, part of our story, part of that that interaction with the divine that we so long for in our lives, that we have a story that is bigger than ourselves. And people take note that you've been with Jesus. People take note that God is at work in your life. I'd like us all to stand to our feet here as we close out. And we're gonna do what Jehoshaphat had the nation of Israel do. We're gonna lead with praise because uh, there are some of you today that are facing a crisis. Maybe it's, it's uh, you know all of us, depending on how you define that, you're facing a crisis and you have a breakthrough moment that you still desperately need. And those cards that were turned in, so many of them representing uh, these crisis moments in families, there was a mention of drug addictions, broken marriages, Concern for children in very vulnerable situations, Uh, children, um, uh, sons and daughters entering the armed services, Uh, end of life decisions. I mean, all of these things that were mentioned are all crisis points in families. But here's the encouragement for us today, that we need to lead with praise. I don't know about you, but when we finally, you know, put all the, the contract in the house and all that stuff, there was a part of me that did not want to praise God. We have a choice, don't we? And I said, okay, God, I'm going to take this and turn it to praise. I'm going to take this and turn it to something because, Lord, I believe you're going to use this for your glory and for your kingdom. And whatever crisis you are facing in your own life, this is a moment for you to respond. We're going to begin singing here in just a second. And uh, these altars are open. For you to be able to respond and to come down. We've got our prayer team that are going to kind of join and mill around with you and pray over you and things like that, but they're not going to formally be up front and, and that kind of a thing, but they're going to be with you to be able to pray with you here in just a moment. But for some of you, this is going to be an incredible step of faith, just like those singers uh, stepping out the very beginning of that, that moment where the battle looked like it was imminent, but they stepped out in faith to praise be to God. God, you're a faithful God, the God who loves us in everlasting love. And I believe there's something about stepping out in faith. We talked a number of weeks ago about uh, the way we learn, and one of those ways was kinesthetic. It's a wonderful word, and that's tied in with with movement. And sometimes we need to put uh, faith into action by taking a step forward, and it might be that that step is coming down to the front and say, God, I mean business. This is serious to me. And so, Lord, I'm going to praise you in the circumstance of my life. God, I'm going to lift up my voice in praise. And so as we begin singing this, Stephen, go ahead and lead us. Um, The altar is going to be open. I would love for if you're facing a battle, a struggle, come on down front. We're going to be praying with you and believing God to work powerfully in and through your life. So go ahead and begin coming on down. I want to thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.